0: Today we'll focus our energy on the Lord's Prayer, as you caught from the children's message. Um, no peanut butter and jelly sandwiches during this sermon, unfortunately, sorry. Um, as we begin, you are already getting a head start. Um, I do want us to say the Lord's Prayer together as a prayer, as a people. Um, and I want to make note, the slides will be up there, I want you to actually follow those. This will be from the New International Version text this week. We'll use other texts in the coming weeks because we're going to be doing the Lord's Prayer throughout Lent. Lent actually starts on Wednesday, so we're getting a running start right now. But um, as we do it, note the words that are on there. They may be different. They're not the these and thys today. Um, And note where it ends. That's where I'm going to end. You may choose to go on further, but that's where I'm going to end on the slide. So I'm going to end with the Matthew text. So let's stand as you're able and say the Lord's Prayer together as we begin studying it for these next weeks. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Thank you. You may be seated. There is a lot that we can go over as we do this over the next few weeks. Today, I'm going to ask that you turn to Matthew 6. We're going to look at verses 9, just those first two parts of verse 9. We're not even going to get through the whole verse today. Um, And we're also going to see a couple other parts from the Sermon on the Mount. This is found in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to focus over these next weeks on the Matthew version of the Lord's Prayer. The Luke version is not all that different, uh, and certainly not different in content, um, but we'll stick with Matthew right now and end with Luke in that final week. What I want to start with is what Jesus is giving us. And I was reflecting on some other religions this week uh, that a lot of times in other religious systems, um, there's a lot of working towards what you need to achieve. Uh, I remember studying Islam in college and digging a lot into it just academically to understand it because I was interested in in world religion, so I was trying to understand these other religions uh, as I lived out my own Christian faith. And Islam, particularly, if you study Islam, uh, one of the things when there are converts to Islam, one of the things that's so attractive to it for people is that It's simple there are five pillars of islam and that's really the the kind of the the things you have to do to achieve salvation in one way do the do the five pillars and you've done the faith essentially now there's more to it i don't want to short shrift it but that's why it attracts people quite often there are things you can do and frankly we're doers uh and we kind of like that you can see this in other faiths like Hinduism, which is a kind of a bigger umbrella of faith system, but but the way that that gets played out particularly is in karma and samsara. Samsara is the what we call reincarnation. Birth, death, rebirth, death, rebirth, and you're either working your way up or you're working your way down in that system based on what you do. And, and in the other religious systems that are out there, the in one way or another there's some kind of deity that they believe in that's giving them something along the way. but there's a lot of work that you have to do, but I want us to recognize what it is that Jesus is doing for us here. Jesus is still doing the work for us on our behalf, in the Lord's prayer. And that's a remarkable thing. Absolutely, uh, in Christianity, which I believe is true, and I believe is the only way uh, to the Father, Um, In Christianity, we do have a part to play, but it is remarkable to me to continue to see throughout Scripture how much God does on our behalf, and we should be thankful for us. So Jesus is saying here, here's how you should pray, let me teach you. And I don't know about you, but when we run into those words like that and read letters in the text where Jesus says this is how you should pray, we should take serious notice at that point. That here's God in human form coming to tell us, let me tell you how to have access to your creator and the lover of your soul who wants a relationship with you. Let me let you in on the secret. That's a remarkable gift that God gives us. He doesn't say you have to get this on your own effort. He says, let me give you the gift. Now you take hold of it and meet the Father. As we consider this, and as as we look at Matthew 6, verse 9 today, and a couple of little parts of the Sermon on the Mount that can illuminate that for us, I want us to recognize in the totality of this sermon series, um, we're asking the question, really, what happens when you pray the Lord's Prayer? A lot of things can happen. I'm going to contend that there are three throughout this series and, and that are primary. One is you pray like Jesus. If we really believe that we are followers of Jesus Christ as his disciples, then as learners, we want to do what the teacher's teaching us to do. So we want to pray like Jesus. Uh, and there's something powerful to that because as you do that, you discover the heart of God. And furthermore, as you discover the heart of God and pray like Jesus, you are transformed from the inside out to actually have that heart of God and to be like Jesus, which is the goal of the Christian life, is to be like Jesus. That's what's happening. That's what I believe can happen uh, through the simplicity of these words, and yet there's a lot there. Let's, you've got Matthew 6 open but i'm going to ask that you uh, go just before jesus uh words on the lord's prayer in verse five jesus is speaking and he kind of sets up everything so verse five it says jesus uh, is is speaking this is the sermon on the mount um speaking to a lot of people who would be primarily jewish as jesus is and he says when you pray do not be like the hypocrites For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Let's stop there for a moment. So Jesus tells us don't pray like the hypocrites. He tells us how not to pray and how to pray in the how not to pray section um, he is addressing essentially a practice that the pharisees often had Uh, one of the primary prayer hours within the jewish world is three o'clock in the afternoon and what some pharisees these rule followers who who wanted to be right with god essentially by following every rule so much so that they invented other rules so they'd follow the original rules um, they would sometimes conveniently take a walk at 2:45 in the afternoon so that you would end up in the most populous part of the city at 3 o'clock where you're virtually obligated to stop and pray and of course you're praying in a place where a whole bunch of those heathens are standing there who probably aren't praying they're selling at the market during the prayer hour so you look even more holy as you stand there with your arms up because it's 3 o'clock you gotta do it you just happen to be here And everybody can see that you're super holy as you stand there in your posture, looking up to the heavens and praying. It was clearly obvious what they were doing. Jesus says, you got your reward at that point. Everybody looked at you and said, wow, you're a real holy guy. Good job. But your father in heaven isn't going to look at that and say, you really were going for a relationship with me out of that move, weren't you? Now we also wanna make sure that Jesus is speaking as he often does in in big hyperbolic language in in a sense. He says, now go close yourself in a closet. You'll notice that we prayed this morning together and there aren't 115 or 130 closets around here that we all went to. So obviously we don't have to pray in a closet when we do it, but Jesus is asking the question of why are you doing this prayer? Why are you praying at all? Don't pray for show, pray for the relationship with your father. That's the goal. Not so that everybody will see you and think you're really holy. He goes on, if we go to verse 7, he says, and when you pray, here's the second thing, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So if we heard, do not pray like the hypocrites, don't pray for show, pray for relationship, that's what we're trying to achieve in prayer. He also says, don't go to God thinking that you can appease God with many words, that you can flatter God with the right words, or that you can just exhaust God with the quantity of your words and bend his ear towards you, and he's like, fine, whatever you want, I'll give it to you, right? Right? which is what people would do he's he's talking about the pagans that would be the non-jewish crowd who in some contexts could go to an idol and and it was believed that at certain idols you could be rewarded by your many words they didn't have to have quality to them you could even just in some cases just speak a whole lot of vowels over and over the quantity was going to do it in some cases but it comes from a faulty notion of who god is Don't pray like that, he says. God is not a vending machine God, that if you get the formula right, if you get the dollar flat and get it in the machine and punch the button right, you're gonna get what you're asking for. That's not how prayer works. That's not how God operates. I remember getting uh, a a mailing a number of years ago, and uh, it had uh, a picture of a guy on a treadmill wearing an MP3 player, and it was an mp3 player that prayed on your behalf while you exercised for healing and for god's presence and for... that's not how god works god, that's not how god god doesn't just work because we got the formula right and so what we can recognize in these two things is the relationship is what we're trying to achieve in prayer with god requests come with that but they're only a component of it the relationship matters And we also see from this that your motivation in the prayer matters. Jesus gives us instructions, and in part of those instructions, he sets it up by saying, now why are you doing this? Your motivation matters in why you're praying and what you expect is going to happen. But that also pushes us as Jesus presents this to ask a little further Does the form of prayer matter that much? If you can't manipulate God and and sort of do the vending machine thing, does it matter exactly what form you use? Let me quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer on this. He's commenting on this section. He says, It matters little what form of prayer we adopt or how many words we use. What matters is the faith which lays hold on God and touches the heart of the Father who knew us long before we came to Him. There's some very important words for us to hear there. God's already been active and at work long before we ever knew God was active and at work. Does the form matter that much? Well, Bonhoeffer in one sense says no. It doesn't. But if I may, this doesn't actually conflict with what he says here. Does the form matter that much? Yeah, it kind of does. And here's why. Because I've been in church ministry serving in a pastoral role in one way or another for a dozen years. I've been a In uh, lay contexts and uh, in church for 40 um, and both in ministry contexts as pastor and as lay person I've heard over and over again even from seasoned Christians I don't get prayer I don't know how to pray how do I pray so Bonhoeffer's absolutely correct the form doesn't matter that much and yet for probably a lot of us because we might not know prayer as well as we think we do it's absolutely essential right here not that we have to stick strictly to what how Jesus prays but if we're going to learn how to pray we should start with what Jesus teaches us and stick with that to learn and I want to point out that even if we pray the prayer Jesus teaches us to pray as a regular discipline I think we also even if our motivation is often prayer if we're if we're not quite sure why we pray I think that begins to get corrected by the form Jesus gives our motivation will be corrected, as well as how we pray, the content of our prayer, as well as the goal to have a relationship with God, our Father. So let's start there with the Our Father language that we see. It's a relational reference. That's important to recognize. This isn't a transactional reference that we're being given here by Jesus. When I go to my bank tellers down the street, it's human-to-human contact, but it's generally a transaction that's going on. I don't really know their story. They don't really know my story. We can have small talk. I recognize their faces. I know some of their names. They know my name because it's written on the check, you know, and that kind of thing. But it's, it's cordial, but it's not deep. And that's fine. Those are transactional relationships. We have those. When it comes to praying our Father first and foremost have a relational term that's why it's our father it's not God distant somewhere else it's our father that implies that a relationship is there and it implies a personal relationship that is there or it should be there and we should stop and pause and make note that this language of our father can be really easy and positive for some and can be really negative and hard for other people depending on their experience with an earthly father Because we all have experience one way or another with an earthly father. And for some people, it was a great experience. Some people, it was a complicated experience. Some people, it was a hard experience. Some people, it was an absent experience. All across the spectrum. So when we pray our father, already we're confronted with that issue. What kind of dad do I have or did I have? And it becomes difficult. And So I want to challenge us all on this to walk into this understanding that we can do our theological understanding of anything, our understanding of what we believe about God and our relationship to God, uh, as we're going to oversimplify this, as theology from above or theology from below. And actually there's value in both starting points, but we need to make sure that that it always is checked and proven by God's word to us and that the theology from above is going to matter a lot even if our starting point is from below. So let's just investigate that a little bit, because I think this matters in this language. If we do theology from below, here's a negative example, and we'll take an ancient one that's distant from all of us, um, but let's just try this out. This is an example of theology from below. If you look at the ancient world, if you look at Egypt and Mesopotamia, some of you are falling asleep already because I said Mesopotamia, but it's a fun word, try it later. That's modern-day Iraq, Tigris, and Euphrates River. Uh, If you look at ancient Egypt, Ancient Egypt had flood patterns in the Nile River that were very consistent. They could set their clock by it. You read about even in Scripture. When there were famines, where did they go? Egypt, because that's where the food was constant. They could grow it. The ancient cultures were typically agricultural-based. Even though there were cities, the agriculture mattered to everybody. And so um, the flood patterns were consistent. They could always grow the crops at the right time of year. They could set their clock by it. Thus, as they invented... Religious systems that go with that, those are very consistent. Those mimic the river system. If you look at Mesopotamia and the Tigris and the Euphrates River, those flood patterns were very inconsistent, violent at times. Crazy, thunderstorms, all kinds of stuff that comes with it. And thus you have the gods like the Baals and the things like that that we read about in Scripture from that kind of whole broad region of the world that are judgmental, wrathful. You can never fully appease them. Now, we've worshipped the one true God. We didn't invent God. But in those cases, they're inventing these things to try and explain the world. they're, They're very clearly mimicking the natural patterns of the world. That's theology from below done poorly is what that is. They made assessments based on the world around them, and they were incorrect. Positively, Uh, we can do theology from below and ask some of the same types of questions, like why does my world work the way it is? And if we take it with God as Father, we hear God as Father, we can ask the questions of everyday life like, okay, if God is a Father, how is God the Father, what does that care mean if I am poor? What does it mean if I'm singled out racially? What does it mean if I'm depressed? What does it mean if I'm divorced? What does it mean if all my earthly needs are met? we're asking questions of everyday life of who God is and we're gonna ask them of the text in that way we're doing theology from below that's our starting point but it's gonna have to go up to get the answer correctly it can't just hang out at this level and we can't just call it good when it comes to theology from above then God's already given us and revealed to us who he is in Scripture, and particularly in Jesus Christ. And so we can make heads or tails of who God is. That's doing theology from above to look at what does Scripture say, because this is God's word given to us. This is God teaching us who He is and how to operate in His world. That's what the Bible is. It's not written by humans for humans. Don't buy that explanation. It's not true. We read that God is holy. That's the overarching theme of the Old Testament. That God is apart from His creation, yet cares For his creation that God has no beginning or no end that's the the magnificence of God's name if you will Yahweh revealed at the burning bush but that name that seems so distant no beginning and no end I am what I am gets filled in with meaning in very personal ways all throughout Scripture as God comes below and meets us I am your healer. I am the one who sanctifies. I am your deliverer. I am your banner over you. That's who God is. I'm your provider. I'm your rescuer. Jesus takes that on in the New Testament. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. It gets filled in with meaning so that we can ask those below questions of everyday life, and God says, guess what? I reach down and I'm in that but you have to understand it from above, too. You can't just ask the question be content with that answer that you came up with on your own. You might come up with the right conclusion. You might come up with the wrong conclusion. you got to test it from who God is and who God has revealed himself to be. And then we can come together and understand who is God as Father. And for those of us that had good experiences with fathers and those that had bad experiences with, with fathers, we all need to be challenged on this because I'm trying to be a good dad to my three kids. I guarantee you there are days when I've failed at that. I've not done the best. And they can't have their image of God purely based on their earthly father. I might give them a window into that. I hope I do. In fact, that's part of the point of the the best of those relationships. But there's going to be deficiencies in that, too, and they need to be able to go to Scripture and see who is God as father, the perfect father and i know we've been talking about this in our own house because i have two of my three kids want to be baptized may 5th if you want to be baptized check it off there's a little card in the 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 uh, pew there and come and talk to me if you want to be baptized we've been talking about that we've been talking about okay if you're going to honor your father in that commitment you also need to honor your father that's the practice the training ground and for some of us that's going to be way harder than others because it's so complicated But we need to understand who God is as our Father, as the perfect Father, not just doing theology from below, but from above as well. And so that drives us to a question that I think is important. If you pray our Father in heaven, the question to ask is, how do I see God acting as Father today? I think we're driven to that question by praying our Father. We heard the scripture this morning from Matthew 7, starting at verse 7. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. God wants us to pursue him. He goes on further. He says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? There's an impression of our good Father, our perfect Father. And I suspect that even those who had the best and those who had the worst, all across the spectrum, interactions with the Father in this existence, all of us, need our theology to be reformatted to understand our good, perfect Father from above. Jesus points out in Matthew 3, 9, before he gets to the Sermon on the Mount, talking to some of the law keepers in Israel, he says, don't think that you guys, you covenant people, can just be God's covenant people because of birthright and God's going to say, great, you were born into it, but you're not doing anything to honor me. God can make new children out of these stones. And I think it's an important reminder that we, I hear this language actually a lot from uh, certain wings of the church and from those outside of church, that because we're created in God's image, we're all children of God. That's not actually the, the way Scripture understands that children of God language. We're, we're, if we're children of God just by sheer existence and by creation of God, we're estranged children of God. We're out of communion with the Father. We become children of God by being adopted into the family through Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus did everything for us. All we have to do is say, yes, I want to be part of that family. That's how it works. And we're invited into that relationship. Ask, seek, knock is what we're told. And even further, if you just notice, we're not hanging on this long, but it's not just my Father, it's our Father. God's creating a family out of those who can be his children. That's all that's going on. But I want to point out that, again, we need that reformatting in our theology to understand who God is as perfect father because we all have imperfect examples, whether the best or the worst. And we all have that sin nature working in us that works against our father too. I'll give you an example of of, um, what happened with, with our dog recently that I think illustrates this. Our dog is super submissive. She would never bite the hand that feeds her. I'm typically the one, but not always, that feeds her. Um, You know, even just the wrong look, and she's cowering. Like, what did I do? Nothing. I'm trying to play with you, dog. Come on, let's let's do this. But she got half a piece of pizza from the trash recently, hanging out of both sides of the mouth. And I'm like, looking at her, I see it. I'm thinking, I don't want to clean this up later, so I'm going to try and get this out of the dog's mouth as much as I can. It was a fight within the dog, you could see, to not snap at me because she's trying to instinctively hold on to food, but also realize, I don't want to bite the hand that feeds me. I don't, want to, I don't want to go against this guy, but this food. It's in my mouth, and it's the most important thing in the world. The same thing happens to us when it comes to our Father. There's a battle going on in us to not recognize God as our Father, to, in fact, want to go our own way and continue to be those wayward children when God's called us to be adopted. We also get our Father in heaven. Matthew 6, if you go to 19 through 21, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We should recognize that heaven functionally in uh, scriptural understanding is kind of the, it's the domain of God. It's the CEO's office, if you want to think of it that way. It's the place where God is. And we'll get to it later in the prayer, uh, the heaven and the earth on earth as it is in heaven. The whole idea of what Jesus was doing was to take what's going on with God and God's intent and God's Uh, uh, the heavenly realm, and aim it in trajectory towards earth, which is what's supposed to happen. But that sin nature has worked against it so much that it's messed up, that work on earth. The kingdom of God is is not fully uh, realized on earth as it is in heaven yet. That treasure is stored up for us in heaven, but it doesn't mean it's simply going to stay there. To to paraphrase N.T. Wright, the New Testament scholar, he says, if somebody said that Uh, I have root beer stored in the fridge. It doesn't mean we have to go in the fridge to enjoy it. We can take it out. And that's what God's doing. God's expansive kingdom is extending beyond heaven. That's the whole purpose. That's what he's doing. That's what we read about in Revelation. New heaven and the new earth. God's rule and reign fully realized within that full realm for those who are children of God. And we can begin to enjoy that inheritance, to enjoy that treasure even now. And it's by that adoption through Jesus Christ, under God our Father, that we begin to enjoy that and realize that now. But what that calls out of us as His people, living under our Father, is to live by the house rules of the Father. That's what it is. We're living under kingdom rules now in a world that's not living that way. Just like if you come to our house and you were to watch a movie, the, the, it's not a rule but the house uh, way of doing things is when the closing credits come up and the music comes on we get up and dance that's the house way of doing things when you ask for something around our house we say and my wife is behind this and i like it she says i would like instead of i want it's small but it's important i would like some milk not i want milk and also Uh, extending from that, no whining. That's also one of the house rules, which we extend to people that come in the house. Occasionally we have to address that to anybody. No whining in our house. Those are the house rules. They might be a little different than if you stepped outside of the house, but if we're living as God's family, we live under God's house rules. That's how we do it. We don't get to live under our own house rules and say, oh, I'm a child of God, but I don't live by his rules. That's not how the relationship works. That's why this matters so much. So it drives us to the other half of the question. How do I see God operating as father today? How am I operating as his child? Am I living under the house rules or not? Matthew seven twelve it gives us the golden rule. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. Fleshing those things out, and I'm not actually going to answer all of how to live out this question for you, how are you acting as a child of the father, But if our father is about relationship, then I suggest that this question is the primary nerve that the whole issue of our father touches on. It's not simply how am I seeing God operating as father, because God's going to continue to do that whether we respond or not. Just like I'm going to take care of my kids, whether they respond the way I want them to or not. But how am I operating as a child of that God? How am I operating, living under the house rules of the father and responding to his love is the key question. And the more we pray in relationship to the father as his child, the more we not only discover the house rules, I mean, it begs the question, do I know the house rules? A lot of us don't. Do I know the house rules? Am I operating under the house rules? And the more we pray it, wanting to discover those house rules, the more we desire to do the house rules and to live in response to god's love that's part of the transformation that occurs as we pray our father in heaven and flesh out what all that means so my final charge to you today before we go to the table the the challenges i have are simple enough uh, one you heard it in the children's sermon uh, to memorize the lord's prayer if you don't have it memorized memorize it and and if you do have it memorized Try a different translation for fun. Uh, We'll we'll say it in different ways over the sermon series. I want to give you a challenge, though, for this week. Pray it each day this week. Pray it daily. Pray it multiple times a day if you want. And I'll I'll tell you an easy way to do it is to pray it each day as you do something menial. As you do something routine that you would normally do each day, washing the dishes, uh, you know, going from your car to your desk at work, those kinds of things. Pray the Lord's Prayer as you do something really simple as, as your reminder to actually do it and to see, in fact, how God is operating even in the most mundane of moments because those are times when we can be very reflective, I think, on what God is up to and what's going on around us. We can think back and we can put ourselves in a position to look forward. And maybe if you do it at the beginning of the day, this sets you up to look at how God is Father through the day. If you do it at the end of the day, it gives you a chance to reflect back. How did I see God operating as Father? And those are the questions. As you pray it, as you've memorized it and pray it daily, ask yourself, what's my motivation in this prayer? Why am I doing this? What do I expect God to do as I pray the Lord's Prayer? Do I expect God to give me things or do I expect there to be, do I expect God to actually respond in some way? Ask yourself, how do I see God acting as Father? Like I said, you can reflect on that on either end of the day, right in the middle if you want, whatever. And ask finally, how are you acting as a child of the Father? Let's pray together before we go to the table. Lord, as your children, we ask that you would help us not only understand the house rules, but live by them. To be kingdom people in our attitudes, and in the action of our hands, in the words of our mouth, and in the meditation of our minds and hearts, that in all ways we would be reflections of what it means to be your family, your people gathered under your headship as Father. I pray this in your name. Amen.